Good morning. Glad to uh, be with you. We had fun last Sunday um, listening to the hungry team that uh, had been away and, and sharing. That was pretty cool. My name is Randy, uh, one of the teaching team uh, here. Uh, Clara started her master's program this Monday night. Everybody cheer for Clara. She got through her first week of school. And she loves it and she hates it. Not, not quite, but you know how that is. So a few weeks ago, um, we started a new series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And the first week, I talked a bit about the person of the Holy Spirit and then talked about the Holy Spirit's role in the life of Jesus. And I just want to restate a couple things and then we'll move into uh, new material. But it's, it's, it's absolutely crucial that we recognize that while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human. He, he was born a human being in a mother's womb. Came into life in blood and ended his life in blood. And while this is true that God is fully, Jesus is fully God, fully human, in some profound way, we're told by Paul that Jesus set aside his rights and powers as God and lived a human life as we do with all of the limitations. And, and it is absolutely crucial. And that has been questioned throughout the centuries and argued about and wrestled with and was Jesus in the flesh was he just spirit there's there's a lot of things but for us today perhaps the greatest one of the greatest sort of deceptions that that we have often accepted is that somehow you know Jesus did what he did because he was God and it's crucial that we see him as one who lived a human life like us, but with the peace of the empowerment and fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so we too can only live this life like Him. So being like Christ in all things means to live our life empowered, led, guided, um, driven by the Holy Spirit. As a result of Jesus taking on humanity and laying aside his divine attributes, Jesus, like us, needed the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to live his life, to battle temptation, to respond to critics, to love God, to love others, to preach and teach, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, face the cross, and be raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit was a part of Jesus' life from conception... All the way through. Clark Pinnock describes this very effectively. He says, In becoming dependent, the Son surrendered the independent use of His divine attributes in incarnation. The Word became flesh, John tells us, and exercised power through the Spirit, not on its own. The Son's self-emptying meant that Jesus was compelled, needed, 
to rely on the Spirit. Spirit enabled Jesus to live within the limits of human nature during his life and live it to the full, I would add. The Son decided not to make use of his divine attributes independently, but experience what it would mean to be truly human. Therefore, he depended on the Spirit for power to live his life and pursue his mission. And I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago when I initiated this uh, series that perhaps the clearest description of this elements of what Pinnock is describing is from Jesus himself, who in Luke 4 is described this experience of him declaring his life and ministry and how it was to be lived. Starting with verse 16, when Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to church because it's appropriate for the for Jesus to have gone to church, you know, usually. Right. And we're becoming like Jesus. Never mind. Just kidding. Uh, He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He he unrolled the scroll, found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he said to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture has come to pass. Today, this scripture is being lived out by me, the Anointed One, the Messiah, prophetically have been been spoken of throughout the centuries prior to his coming. Jesus was the Messiah. The very word means anointed one. And it refers back to the anointing of a king by the prophet, as was done with with, uh, King Saul and then later with King, King David, that they were anointed, but they were anointed with oil. And the prophetic statements about Jesus, about a Messiah to come, was thought of as another king who would be anointed by a prophet and identified as, here he is. Here's here's the Messiah, the anointed one with oil. And Jesus says, "Uh, that's me, but that's not my anointing. John the Baptist sort of said, hey, this guy's really cool. But Jesus declares that his anointing, his identification is not by human origin, but is by the Holy Spirit, through whom Jesus lived his human life, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There was not a day that went by, there was not a moment that went by, there was not a circumstance that went by, that Jesus did not partner with the Holy Spirit, living in union with the Holy Spirit to do what he needed to do. And one of our greatest challenges is, one, learning to trust that the Holy Spirit's with us, 
We sang about that. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We think about that, but we, we frequently don't live that way. We still live independent lives. So perhaps the greatest challenge first is to believe that the Holy, there is a Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is in me, and thirdly, that I am to live empowered with Him. That is not just, I don't just live my life alone. When, when we have a responsibility to love, we're not asked to do that alone. Our resources are pretty limited. But we have the fullness of the power and presence of God to do what He's asked us to do, to do what we need to do. But we have to live within that. Jesus became our model and an example of what human life, what our human life is to be like. To be like Jesus in all things. Uh, Two weeks following my introduction, Kevin did a wonderful job uh, teaching and sharing further about the spirit in the life of Jesus and the spirit in the lives of Jesus' followers. I was not here, but he uh, graciously allowed me to read his notes and they were it was amazing material. I just want to thank you, Kevin, for supporting and loving this bride here, this part of this little part of God's great family. Last week, our team, as I mentioned earlier, from that had been in Hungary at the end of May, came and shared, and we we shared really stories about the Holy Spirit's work in us and and through us and among us, and it was it was an amazing experience to be present to see people experience the love of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and to be healed of places of woundedness and hurt in their lives. We got to do that with 25 individuals. It's not 100, it's not 1,000, but 25 people in a little local church experience God's love and healing in a profound way. Though last Sunday was the week the church celebrates Pentecost, I really hope that this morning, as we continue to consider the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that we could be encouraged that our need for the experience of the Holy Spirit, our need for Pentecost in our lives, is just as present today as it was last Sunday. And that's what I want to talk about further about this morning. Before we do that, let's pray. Papa, Jesus, I just want to thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to be with us. It's easier, though still difficult, to relate to you, Papa, as as a father. There's, There's images, there's ideas. There's experiences that go along with your personhood. And Jesus, of course, the pictures and examples of the New Testament. And yet, who is here now that you have sent as your spirit to be the presence of God on the earth today and in each of our lives? So might you help us uh, here in these few moments to just be reflective on you, Holy Spirit, and to learn and to consider how do we live day by day full 
of your empowering presence? How do we live our lives, not independently, but synergistically, interconnected, interdependent? And might you all be glorified and celebrated today in Jesus' name. On the evening of the day that Jesus raised from the dead, Jesus visited his disciples together in the upper room, that same upper room where they had experienced Passover, the same upper room probably where they experienced the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. Be fun to find that room. Somewhere, And I suspect there's probably one identified in Jerusalem as this was the upper room that Jesus went. But whether there is or isn't. And I just, you know, we think about Jesus' resurrection. We think about the power that, that, and that new body. And, you know, he, he greeted Mary. and He greeted uh, the, those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But here, here he is in this upper room. Listen to this story as John tells it. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The disciples had heard from Mary Magdalene and the two disciples who met Jesus on the road that Jesus had resurrected. But now he appears to the rest of them except Thomas, who was not there. I think we can all understand their fear of the threat of soldiers seeking them out. You know, they took Jesus out, but then now he's missing, sort of, or at least the body is, relative to the officials, and they're probably not real happy about that. People lost their lives over that. So you can imagine that they are freaking out. Let's just use it in a good English language. And Jesus' first words are the identical words that he spoke to the storm at sea in the boat that day a couple years earlier. Peace, be still. Words that very frequently I think we need to hear in our own lives when tragedies occur or circumstances are overwhelming or a loved one is struggling. Peace be with you. The disciples are amazed and overcome with joy. Imagine the resurrected Jesus showing up this morning and standing here in front of us. Wow. And then Jesus says again, Peace be with you. And adds, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
And I wonder if he said peace be with you because what he was just going to say was a startling statement. Uh, he was just killed. Well, he's alive again. But he was just killed three days ago. Two, two and a half. And he says, guess what, guys? You get to go. I'm going to send you out just like I went out. Anybody want to sign up? Peace. Because the task ahead of you is not an easy one. It is going to be filled with difficulty. It is going to be filled with challenge. But I'm giving you one to walk alongside you. To be with you in every circumstance. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, we've heard that statement. We've read the stories many times. We're aware of Matthew, the end of Matthew that says, go forth into all the world and, and uh, you know, make disciples and teach them and all that, that God uh, has invited us, Jesus invited us. So the idea of sending is, 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 I think, somewhat sort of, yeah, yeah, we get, yeah, we're sent forth. But, but do we really get what it means to be sent forth, what, what it's unto? As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I can imagine that those guys thought, I'm not sure I want that. The Father sent you and you went to the cross. That doesn't sound, I'm trying to hide from that right now. So, how did the Father send Jesus? So that we can understand how Jesus wants to send us. A few verses came to my mind as I was preparing and thinking about this. The first being John 3:16 and 17. How did the Father send Jesus? John tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave, or sent, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be sozoed, saved, healed through him. For God so loved, he sent. Jesus was sent in and by love. The outcome being life. Love Unto life. That's how the Father sent Jesus. A second reference is in Jesus' own prayer to the Father on the night he was betrayed, just a couple nights before that experience, recorded in John 17. Jesus is praying to his Father, he is declaring his love and commitment, he's asking God to be with the disciples. And he says to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So how does the Father send Jesus? He sent him into the world. Didn't send him to a monastery on a mountaintop. Didn't send him out to the perimeters of suburbia didn't send him outside of the social setting and political settings of his day. 
he was sent to the very heart of the world. As Jesus himself describes, to be in it, but not of it. The Father sent Jesus into the world and he is sending us into the world. The third reference is in John's first letter, chapter 4, verse 9, where he says, By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten into the world his only begotten Son, into the world so that we might live through Him. Sent with love, by love, that we, that others might live through Him. A fourth way that the Father sent Jesus is evidenced in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which is related to Jesus' baptism and following. It says this there in Matthew, After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God, he being John the Baptist there, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent Him empowered by the Holy Spirit and blessed by His declaration of His love and approval. How did the Father send Jesus? How can we anticipate Jesus sending us? The Father sent Jesus in love. And so Jesus sends us in love. The Father sent Jesus in love. The Father did not send Jesus to condemn. Rather, the Father sent Jesus that humankind might be saved and healed. So Jesus does not send us to condemn, but that people might be saved and healed. The Father sent Jesus into the world, so Jesus sends us into the world. The Father sent Jesus that humankind might have life, real life, a full life, an eternal kind of life, so that Jesus sends us that people might have life, real life, fullness of life, eternal life. The Father sent Jesus with a Father's affirmation of love and approval, and so Jesus sends us with His affirmation of love and approval. And the Father sent the Holy Spirit to fill and empower Jesus, that Jesus would be able to live His life in a loving and sacrificial way. And so Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to fill and empower us to be able to live our lives in loving and sacrificial ways. And then we see Jesus in this text from John, that night that he had raised from the dead, saying again to the disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I was reminded 
as I've read that in preparing, that Jesus is breathing upon the disciples is reminiscent of the words in Genesis. In chapter 2, verse 7, that says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. We're told in Genesis that the consequence of rebellion against God is death. And theologically, separation from God is the picture, is the portrayal of this death process. Yes, our physical bodies are dying uh, from the moment we are born. Yes, our world is in chaos as a result of death and evil. And similarly, the scriptures speak of us being dead without Christ. And so as God breathed into Adam's nostrils and breathe the breath of life so Jesus breathes upon the disciples and breathes eternal life spiritual life the empowerment and presence of the Holy Spirit igniting in them this same new kind of life that he was living and that he had lived while the sending of the spirit came to the disciples on the day of Pentecost 50 days after this evening something profound and significant took place through Jesus' breathing on them and his words, receive the Holy Spirit. In that upper room that night, Jesus stood before them as a new creation. He had died and was raised up from death into a new kind of body the very body that he still has and lives from now, and the kind of body that you and I will have one day. And they receive the breath of life, that impartation of the Spirit from that eternal being Jesus, the very breath of eternity, of the fullness of God, of the empowerment of God, the living life of God was breathed upon them. The Holy Spirit is not an optional add-on to the basic equipment of Jesus. It's not about having Jesus and, oh, by the way, you also can have the Holy Spirit if you want. When Jesus spoke with Nicodemus about the need to be born again, about entering the kingdom of God, and about eternal life, because John 3.16 is connected to that Nicodemus story, Jesus clearly equates these elements, being born again, entering the kingdom of God, and eternal life, he equates them with being born of the Spirit. Listen to Jesus' reply to Nicodemus. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, which is the eternal kind of life now. He's not talking about uh, living in heaven when we die. 
No one can enter the kingdom of God, that realm of God's existence that is parallel, that is present, that is all around us, that's within grasp. No one can enter that realm without being born of water, birth, and spirit, spiritual birth. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The word for wind and breath and spirit in the Greek, in the New Testament, are all the same word. So there's a little bit of a play on words here when he talks about the wind blowing, little white baggies and things that blow around. This same spirit that was a part of the Genesis account of creation that moved over the dark, formless waters of creation and inputted the very energy for the creation of the universe is said by Jesus to be the energy and life of this new birth That he breathes into us. From Jesus' newly resurrected altered body. Now a new kind of body. He breathes the breath of eternal life. The breath of the spirit. New life is imparted to these disciples. And to each of us. Who would turn to him. And embrace and welcome this new life. This eternal kind of life. Now available to us through the Holy Spirit. The very life of Christ that we speak about, the very salvation that we reference, the very forgiveness of sins and all that takes place through the atonement that we talked about so much in previous weeks, all culminates in the giving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I I felt it was profound when in the last couple of years I I heard Kevin reference the fact that that, uh, the resurrection is a, a, a column or a pillar of the atonement. And so is Pentecost. I've I'd never heard them tied together in such ways, but that is absolutely true. The resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit are absolutely crucial foundational elements of the fullness of life that Jesus attempted to provide to us on the cross. And I say attempted because we can take it or decline it. Just like we can sort of take or decline the Holy Spirit, sort of, not really. Then just... A few weeks later, just before Jesus' ascension, Jesus gives clear instructions to his disciples about a near-at-hand, monumental public event that was soon to take place. Luke tells of this in Acts chapter 1. While staying with them, right before the ascension, Jesus ordered the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. He has already breathed on them. He has already 
prepared the way, received the Holy Spirit, and yet something more is coming. Something significant is yet to come to pass. Wait for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Another event different than that earlier time was about to take place. A baptism, an inundation, a a saturation of the Holy Spirit through which Jesus says they would be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit in the same way that He, Jesus, had been filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And instead of a dove, they got fire. Jesus said, John spoke of baptizing with water, but one would come after me who will baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so the disciples got little candles on top of their heads. Or was it more like they were consumed with fire? Luke describes that. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suggestions about 120 from other verses. Just not the 12 here. There's about 120 people crammed in that little tiny room. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind. Wind, pneuma. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Just as Jesus needed the baptism and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to live His life, to battle temptation, to respond to critics, to love God, to love others, to preach and teach, to make good decisions at work, to offer Himself sacrificially in care and love for others, Just as Jesus needed the empowering presence of God to do that, so we need the baptism, the empowering presence, the inundation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus needed the baptism and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to live, just as Jesus' disciples needed the baptism and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, so we do. This is not an add-on. This is at the very core of what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, is to be one who is filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded this morning as I was driving here, Paul references in chapter 5 of Ephesians, be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. grammar of the verses there is this ongoing, continual expression. There are Christian traditions where we speak of and invite people to a baptism of the Spirit and then sort of 
you got it, and so go on the rest of your life. But Paul really clearly says, no, 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 this is a ongoing aspect. And, you know, I was wrestling this morning with this idea that, you know, we think about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do we need it more? Why, does it, why do we need it again? Does he go away? And I, I was just reflecting on it. No, I don't think he goes away. I think we drain out. I think we have holes in the bottom of our buckets. We go out into the world and we face life circumstances and we face this, we listen to some music, we watch a movie and the Holy Spirit just sort of drains out of us. We're not living every day full of the Holy Spirit. Not because He's not there, but because we are not connected. We, we need to repent. R- repent means to change our thinking. We need to reorient our minds. When you get up tomorrow morning to go do the tasks that you're going to do, make breakfast, clean the dishes, go to work, whatever it is you're going to do, don't do it alone. Do it with God. Do it with the Holy Spirit. Hey, Holy Spirit, come help me do the dishes this morning. What do you want to tell me while I'm doing the dishes, Holy Spirit? Oh, there's little dirty spots in my life. Hmm, yeah, that, that's good. Thanks. Wow, Holy Spirit. Did you see the way that guy's driving? Oh, I, I'm driving that way too. Yeah, sorry. You're right. I understand that it's hard. Kevin and I have been meeting for three years now. Yesterday morning we met, and and we do this, you know, once a month or something, and and we're like, but I I just lose track of him. I'm at work, and stuff's happening, and I'm doing my thing, and all of a sudden I've lost the Holy Spirit. Not really, right? But our awareness, our thoughtfulness, Attentiveness. <laughs> Anything else? Anyway, so I, I, I want to pray for us all to be filled. Look at that. Do you see what time it is? Yeah, I only have I have seven pages instead of fourteen. Funny. Funny how that makes a difference. I'm working on it, I promise. Okay. Kevin looked me in the eyes yesterday and said, Randy, you just got to shorten those things. I said, I'm working on it. So I went home and I didn't write any more on my sermon, Kevin. That's what happened. So thank you for helping me. I need help. Holy Spirit, I need your help. Uh, Let's stand. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I, I don't, whatever image works, but I, a thought I have is, you know, the image of Jesus standing there in front of the disciples. He has just raised from the dead 12 hours before, 7 o'clock at night. 
they're just stunned and startled and in awe that he's there. Imagine that you are there. Imagine you're one of the, we don't know there's only the 11. It's possible that the women were there and others were there. It's very probable, as a matter of fact. And you could be there too. And I just want you to get in your, your mind uh, this image. You're, you're there. You're probably sitting on the floor. They didn't have a lot of chairs. They kind of sat around. You might be leaning against the wall in the back because you're not really sure about what's going on. You feel a little outside the group. And I want you to hear these words as if they are the very words of Jesus to you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And Jesus breathes upon you that living, eternal breath of life, the very breath that was breathed, that Genesis that enlivened Adam's human body. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive that spiritual breath of true life. Receive it. Breathe it in. Be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the fullness of God and His love. Be filled with all of life that He designs and desires for you. Be filled with His love. Receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you set our lives ablaze with your fire? Your fire of love and passion for us and for every human being. Set us ablaze with the fullness of your life that we would no more walk independently and on our own but that we would live with You synergistically, involving You, seeing You, experiencing You every moment of our day. Be filled. In Jesus' name, Amen.
you folks could join me up here, we would love an opportunity to pray for all of you. There's enough of us that can pray that literally could pray for everyone in the room without it probably even taking more than five, seven minutes, ten minutes. So if you would like to pray for people, come on up. And then if you would like prayer, you are welcome to come as well. And the rest of you are dismissed. Class is uh, finished. And we'll see you next Sunday.